Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. A very big welcome to you, Brett, and to our listeners for our Lead to Succeed podcast as we enter into exciting times in 2022. So we have Brett Tremblay with us today and he is the founder of Get Staffed Up but he's also had a background in law and now he's bringing those two together his background in law and Get Staffed Up and he has a very exciting business that has grown quite significantly since it started in 2018. So Brett thank you very much indeed for joining us it's a real pleasure to have you on our podcast. So much for having me. 2022 is definitely an exciting time to be alive. So I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Perhaps you would like to do just embellish the intro a little and, and share a little bit more about you to kick off with. Oh, my goodness. I will embellish away. So like you said, I have a background in law. I started my own law firm in 2011 and we hit the Inc. 5000 twice, um, you know, quickly growing law firm. We do business law, franchise law. And I'm still involved in the law firm, but I'm more of an advisor at this point because I have kind of removed myself from the day-to-day operations. The law firm has almost 40 people and it's, we're still growing. I'm still involved in the, the annual and quarterly planning, but most of my focus now is on Get Staffed Up, where we basically provide freedom to people. That's freedom to entrepreneurs who don't have enough time to you know, grow their business, work on their business, or spend time with their family, wherever, wherever you're squeezed for your time, because it's different for everybody. And freedom to some incredible people, I should say some, at this point, quite a few, almost 500, just incredible people all around the world who we have been able to provide jobs to. And that is one of, one of the benefits I could have never expected out of this company is, is how many just amazing people all over the world that we would meet. So, um, you know, we basically take a position, you, you may have it defined or you may not, maybe it's just a personal assistant or executive assistant for you as the business owner. And I'm speaking to the audience now, of course, Rebecca, but um, you definitely, we, we call it delegate your way to freedom. We all try to do too much as business owners. We, we, we think we can take on the world, but then we think we can do everything necessary to take on the world. And the faster you delegate, the faster you bring on help, the faster you will grow and get to that place of freedom. It's not just about the money growth. It's about getting to a place where you own your time, which is the biggest difference for, you know, between employees and employers in the world, right? It's, you either have to answer to somebody or you get to control your own time. And that's what we're helping people do. And I guess, Brett, that comes from your own personal experience of growing your previous business, does it? Yes. So um, I, I wish I had known about the wonders of offshore employees earlier in, in my life and in my career. When I started my business in 2011, 
I really struggled for the first few years and I didn't realize it was all self-imposed. I kept thinking I'm, I'm networking like crazy. I'm, I'm meeting people. I'm doing a good job. I do great work, whatever I, you know, I, I get cases, right. Cause I do business law and litigation. So I would go to court every day. And, um, I didn't realize that I was basically spending all my time. Well, in, in the law firm scenario, the way to make money is to do the legal work, right? That like in, in, in the muffin store scenario, you have to actually sell the product, right? If you're a plumber, you have to actually go and, and do the plumbing. Um, and so what happens is we spend, it's feast or famine because we spend our time marketing and networking. So we get business in, but then when we're doing the actual work that, that gets us paid, then we're not doing the marketing and the networking and the sales. And so, it, you know, and then all of a sudden you have all this work and then you don't have work anymore. And that is a, a constant struggle that everybody listening to this podcast knows because we've all, we've all been there as entrepreneurs and there's a valley of death that, you know, most businesses fail, for example, within the first seven years, I, I forget the exact percentage. It's a very high percentage. And then even after a million, there's a valley of death. It's like 4% of businesses that cross that million dollar in revenue threshold ever get past to like 3 million. And, and the reason is because again, like we have an idea for business and we wanna, we wanna do well in business, but the way to grow the business is to focus on the people and the systems, not just the product. It's not bake a better muffin all the time. That's not gonna get you to, to where you want to be in terms of having a big enough business where the business doesn't own you, you own the business. Well, let's talk about some of the, how you came to that realization. I mean, maybe some of the experiences you have faced in growing both your previous company and Get Staffed Up that have uh, caused you maybe some challenges because we, we really like to hear about what those challenges may have been and the techniques and strategies you, you have used to address them and come through them. Sure. I, I would love, love, love to make it very personal. So even if you're, you're not an attorney or you don't own a law firm, I think you'll appreciate this story because we can all relate. But um, for the first two years, it was two and a half years, just me. I, mean, I did everything. I answered my own phones. I took my own messages. I sent my own faxes because this was back in 2011 and 12. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there was still a lot of facts is being done. Um, I scanned my own documents. I did my own e-filing. I did all my own research and writing. I did all my own networking. I, you know, and, and I always use the restaurant analogy, like what restaurant is probably has better food. Is it the restaurant that has, you know, the best chef possible, a really nice host or hostess, a waiter that's professional and, 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 and attentive, or is it the guy or girl doing everything themselves? You know, they're their own host, their own chef, their own line cook, their own marketer. Like, it's kind of silly to think of a restaurant with only one person in charge. But yet so many of us entrepreneurs think that we, we have to or need to do everything because we don't have the money to hire people. There is a cheaper way of hiring people. So, um, but getting back to my story, I was just running myself ragged and I wasn't happy and I didn't understand why I wasn't growing because it's felt like I had all the things in place to grow, but I was sabotaging my own time because I was doing so many tasks 
that were making me $10 an hour instead of the much higher paid tasks, which we, when we open a business, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And in my case, it was a, you know, doing the actual legal work. So there was one time I was, it's like 11 o'clock, you know, in, in the evening on a Saturday and I had an opposing attorney threatening me. This is just litigation stuff, right? It, it, it gets nasty and brutal threatening me that he's coming after me and my family. If I don't withdraw X, Y, and Z. And I was just, I was so young and new at the time. I thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's right. And it was so stressful. And I, and I was, I was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was becoming, you know, very just sort of anxious and, and I, and, and just the stress was overwhelming. Um, somebody finally convinced me in the summer of 2014 to hire someone. They're like, you, you, you can't do everything yourself. And the reason you don't have more money is because like, I would say I can't afford to pay someone. I can't afford to hire someone because what if I have to fire that person? Well, so what, right? Like it happens, let's go for it. But the reason I tell people now that I didn't have the money to hire someone is because I hadn't hired someone already. It, 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 like you have to switch that psychology. So I hired my first person 30 hours a week and I just to do all of the little stuff, I'm not even talking about big stuff, all the little stuff that was getting in the way. And I doubled the revenue of my business in the first month. And then, and then the next month after that, you know, I guess 50% more. So I was like, wow, this, this really works. So I just, I'll give myself credit here. I just started hiring. I said, well, let's just rinse and repeat. And I hired my first uh, full-time person that November, my first attorney that, that, next summer in 2015 and so we went from you know just me myself and irene uh to 10 attorneys and inc 5000 within the next kind of you know four and a half to five years and it came from the tough realization that i was so afraid of failure i was afraid to hire someone and then fail and not be able to pay that person that i was sort of pretending like, well, look, look at me, I'm doing everything myself. So I don't know if that's everyone's problem who doesn't want to hire, but that's a, a big part of it is your ego is, is taking a risk because there is a risk in starting your business, but there's a bigger risk in trying to grow your business. Cause if you, if you say you're going to grow your business and you put that out in the universe and you fail, you know, you don't, then it's like, why well, I, I didn't do what I said I was gonna. So it's, it's easier to hide out and just be a, a small business forever and frankly, be miserable. And if anyone's listening saying, well, I'm not miserable, there's two camps here. You may, not, you may very well not be, and that's okay, but that's a small percentage. The other percentage of you are lying to yourselves. And if that comes across as direct or offensive, then just kind of evaluate why you would be offended by that. And I've done a lot of, of reading of, I would call it like business therapy, having to learn about myself that I'm comfortable saying these things now, Rebecca, because they're not judgmental. I was, I was that person. I, I couldn't mentally get out of my own way. As Tony Robbins says, 80% of the hang up in any business is the mindset of the owner. Mm -hmm. I, I would argue it's more like 99% because how we, how we make decisions on our business and our time is, is like, we're all a product of our decisions. Every morning when you get up, 
you make thousands of decisions every day, little ones, little ones, little ones, and, and bigger ones, and causes have effects. And so freeing your time up to, to work more on the business by hiring someone to take away all those little things from you is the first step. And then you do it again and again and again. And yeah, so I use that experience. It's very personal to me. It's, it's a, a growth lesson that I had to go through, but I was very honest with, I was, I was just not in a good place, you know, in, in business or in life. And it was hard. Um, but thankfully, you know, I learned, I grew, I, I got a coach, I leaned on others. I kind of humbled myself. I, I started reading just business books left and right and get staffed up was kind of born out of the idea that there's a better way and, and a cheaper way. Cause it is hard to constantly see your expenses, keep up with your revenue. It's like, well, when, when am I eventually going to have enough money that I'm comfortable and that it's not stressful all the time. I don't want to hire another person and pay him $50,000 a year because I need to figure out how to pay for that person. And when you start thinking about the world as, as a bigger place that's now joined through technology, for example, you and I sitting here very far away from each other, but it feels like we're in the same room, then you, you, you kind of have the aha moment of, there's, there's a better way to do this and I can get the help that I need faster and smarter than I had been telling myself. That's just a mindset thing. It's just trying to look at things different and challenging yourself and your beliefs and how you view things. And am I right? Am I doing this because I've always done it this way or have I ever taken the time to pull back and really think? You know, one of my favorite book of all time is Thinking Grow Rich. And there's a reason it's called think and grow rich and not work and grow rich. Nobody ever grew rich just by working twice as hard and twice as long. Those people are on the hamster wheel. You have to think your way into the next part of your life or, or even just think your way in, into micro decisions, you know, every day. Well, that is, um, Thank you for sharing that, Brett. That's fascinating. And I agree with you about the book, Think and Grow Rich. The first time I read it, I didn't understand it. I read it numerous times. And I think it should go back on my list for this year as well. Um, but it's an excellent book. But there's something there that you've talked about. I'd really like to drill down into a little bit further. Which, When you talked about you had the fear of failure. Is that something you still have? Because many of our guests talk about welcoming failure expecting failure embracing failure because from it we learn so much and as you said it was an experience you had to go through from which you learned so maybe it's about shifting that mindset and saying it well you know if we fail actually we'll learn from it and it doesn't matter so much what's your view on that you know I've never been asked that before Rebecca so thank you for asking me that um, it's causing me to self-reflect right now but because I don't have that much time, right? We're on a podcast. Let me try to answer it this way. And then I'm, I'm going to reflect later. Um, Sarah Blakely, she's the founder of Spanx. Yes. She, she tells a story where her father would ask, I, I think her and her siblings, like, what did you fail at this week? And then he wanted to talk through their failures. And then that's how they learned to grow. It's, it's kind of like in sports. When you win, everyone's happy. But you don't, like when you lose, you're dissecting every part of the game to find out why you lost. But then when you win, it's like, well, let me just 
forget about it and move on. I'm happy. I want to, I want to keep this, this state of mind because mentally speaking, it's, it's so much easier to win, right? To, to, to have the money coming in that we need, but then we forget to, to look at the failures and how to learn from them. So on a micro level, I think I'm pretty fearless, you know, trying things and failing on a macro level. I think that, you know, I'll have to reflect on this. I'm probably still very afraid if, if both of my businesses went away tomorrow and failed, you know, I, I would, uh, yeah, that, that would be an, an ego thing that I would have to deal with. And I would pick myself up. I, I, you know, I don't like what, what I've learned now and what I know now, I'm pretty confident. If you took everything away from me within a few years, I would be back to where I am with something new, something different. And On that note, then, my challenge to you would be with that level of confidence and you've already built and are continuing to build. You've built a very successful business. You're continuing to build a new one. Um, If you lost it all, you have that confidence that you could rebuild and therefore fearing failure may not be as big as it you might think it might be to you right now. But hey, you say you're going to reflect on it. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting to um, to to get your perspective on that. Let's let's talk about um, the the business that you're growing now. Get staffed up, and this is providing service to other law firms and helping them to grow by providing staff. What practical tips would you give to? Anybody who's growing a business, when I mean, we've talked about saying, well, you know, make sure you have teams and people that will help you to grow. But what other practical tips would you give to people about growing a business? Um, wow, that's I guess that's a broad question. Um, so first of all, I firmly believe that niches bring riches. And when I say that, you know, we our, our marketing focuses on law firms everything about us focuses on that niche. And I think that's really what's helped us scale so quickly, but we have lots of non-law firm clients because finding great people is finding great people. So I, I just kind of want to throw that out there. Um, but, but the tips, it would be develop a niche. What makes you different? I, I read somewhere, um, if you're not in business to do something better than someone else, then you're in business for yourself, not in business to change the world or to change people's lives right? Like if, if you start a, a bake, well, I'll use a bakery. This is like, you know, my, my mother-in-law and, and everyone else like, oh, it'd be so much fun to have a coffee and, and muffin shop. You know, it's like, would it? It is so much more work. And would you be doing that because you think you would have fun doing it for you? Well, then you're in business for yourself a hundred percent. But when you, someone tells you that and you think about it that way, you know, it's much different than being clients driven or purpose driven where you're like, I'm, I'm starting this business because my experience was so terrible in this industry or this service. I know it can be done better and other people deserve something better. So when they talk about find like, what's your why and finding a purpose, I still don't know what my, my big purpose in life is. Um, and I'm not that concerned with it, but I know that helping people learn to hire and delegate and become the kind of person that 
other people want to work with and work for is something I'm passionate about. You use the word leadership early on. You know, my dad had me in, in leadership camps, you know, when I was young. And it's just something that has always stuck with me and, and really been a part of, of who I am creating the type of, of culture. Maybe it's just different. You're, you're in business to create a culture where other people are going to love to go to work. Maybe that's your, your, your internally focused. And then people want to be around you because the culture you created, but find something that you're passionate about that you want to change and do better. E even if that means shifting your focus or a small part of your focus, try to try to have a niche and realize that hustling is good, right? We all need to do that when, when, when we're starting a business, especially for bootstrapping. But eventually, to get out of the part where if you if you go on vacation, your business shuts down, it becomes about building the team. There's a shift as an owner where you go from like sales to building the team that's going to run the systems that's going to keep the business going. And so recruiting the best people you can, you know, pay is a part of it, but it's not the only part of it. It's having a great culture. It's finding great people. It's attracting great people. It's keeping great people. It's getting rid of people early, hire, hire slow and fire fast, right? I kind of believe in hire fast and fire fast. Um, and, and, and changing from the, the person who's focused on sort of the outcome of the business to the people within the business. That's, that's to me the, the biggest reason that people don't make that shift and they don't, they don't learn how to, be, to like develop great hiring processes. And everyone complains, millennials this and, and employees that. Well, half of the people we deal with are not fun. Like I wouldn't want to work for those people. And so you're, you're like, doesn't make them a bad person, but they haven't put in the time to d develop themselves personally. It's like, I need to hire this person. They need to show up on day one. They need to know everything and they need to do great. The thing is, Rebecca, nobody's put in this earth to work for someone else their whole lives to make our lives better. We have to earn that. We have to, we have to create the type of, of life for them that they want because not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but it doesn't mean we're entitled to great employees, getting rid of that entitlement mindset and developing the, I'm going to earn it mindset is just really helpful. And I think that shift in focus is what will help people get through that, that valley of death that I talked about earlier. Yeah, I think that's really interesting um, perspective, Brett. And how would you say your leadership style has developed as in growing, you know, number of companies? How would you uh, describe your leadership? How has it changed? Let me think how it's changed. I'll tell you how I am, which is I, I like to have fun. So, you know, we, I think here's how it's changed. I give, I give more, more objective feedback. So I've learned that having scorecards and report cards, people want to know if they're doing well, not just like, well, you know, the boss is in a good mood today. So I think things are good or the boss <laughs> is in a bad mood today. So I wonder if I did something wrong and, you walk through and you're in like, you've got something on your mind. And so your energy as you walk changes the whole building and everyone's like, oh God, what happened to the boss today type of thing um, is developing systems that allow people to, to know where they stand and to have quarterly conversations with your, 
your team where you're, you're, you're grading them on their core values and then talking through, are you still happy? Is this, what's your long-term goals? Where can we do better? Um, giving more of that feedback instead of managing on feel. When, when I was, you know, when I'm in a good mood and the money is coming in early on in, in the law firm, then everyone loves coming to work, right? Because like, we're going to do fun things today. We're going to kick a lot of butt. One of our core values, as you said, is kick ass. But if the money's not coming in and I allow myself to get down and then that affects the whole energy and mood. So um, I don't believe that you have to be a boring, stuffy company, you know, to grow. You have to have professionalism, but you can still have a really fun culture. And one of our advisors is fond of saying that our law firm feels more like a tech startup than it does a law firm because of it. You know, we allow people to be themselves and, and that helps develop trust, which is the foundation for any relationship. Well, you know, on that note, it reminds me of I mean, when you're the founder, you're the chief exec or the MD of a business. I think you can lose sight that everybody is watching your every move. They are looking to see what your mood is like. They are, <laughs> they're looking, they're watching you. And I don't think I fully appreciated that until I sold my company to um, a FTSE 250 business. And everybody was saying, oh, um, where's Graham today? What's he doing? Um, he doesn't seem in a very good mood. And I thought, really? <laughs> Are we watching the chief executive that closely? Huh. But but that's the case, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is Absolutely. he smiling today or is he not? Yeah. So you're under the spotlight when you're when you're a leader. But I think yeah. what what yeah. you're saying is like you know we're all in this together and uh, we want to create that culture of fun where everybody feels part of the team. Right, and and I was told taught early on which is ironic now because i've lost most of my hair but um you know as a leader you can never have a bad hair day the troops are looking at you <laughs> and you you know you need you need to to always be positive and on it you know the buck stops with you and, and i believe that if show me a great team and i'll show you a great leader but i've never in my life seen a great team with a bad leader it, it, it doesn't happen and it can't happen um because if, if you have a really bad leader and a great team, someone else on that team has stepped up to be the leader that is creating that great culture atmosphere that other people have sort of rallied around. So you do have a great leader. It's just not the person with the title. Um, so, so yeah, you know, and, and, but as an entrepreneur and early on, I had plenty of, of bad quote unquote hair days. Um, and I, I just think that, that, trying to develop a more mature process with, with better feedback will, will help you not and, and your team not sort of take their energy with the ebbs and flows of the business like the, the owner, like we eventually do. And that's why they say leadership is lonely because we, we have to put on a good face and pretend like nothing's wrong. Sometimes though, vulnerability in front of the team can be very healthy. You don't want to come in and whine and complain and be a drama king or queen, right? But done the right way, vulnerability from the owner can also be very good for the team. Oh, I think that's um, that's so true. I mean, sometimes it's it, as you said earlier, it's easy to share the good news, but what about when you face a challenging moment and you have committed to being very open about what's happening in the business? That's your culture, but all of a sudden you've got to share some bad news, and I yeah. think. 
you know, that can be quite concerning. But in my experience, when I've done that, the team rallies and supports you. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it can be a really brilliant experience in a, in a, in a strange way. Yeah. Let, let's talk about your top tips for managing remote teams um, in terms of the work that you do now. So what if somebody's considering perhaps taking on some remote um, teams, not employing them directly, but having an outsource solution, what would be the top tips that you'd recommend them to consider before stepping into that? So, yeah, so let me just clear up one floor, just clarify, I should say one thing. Um, what we do, we call insourcing, not outsourcing. Yeah, okay, good point. It's, it's basically, we're finding the, a great person for you. Yeah. We're allowing, we're, we're letting, we're showing you the video of our interview with that person. If you want to interview that person yourself, you do. If not, we send you the next person. Eventually, when you interview someone you really like and you give us a thumbs up, then we do a match. You pay us and we pay them. So we continue to do the payroll and the benefits and all the complicated stuff. But they work directly for you and full-time. They're a full-time team member. So that, that clarifies like the difference in what we do, what other companies do. Yeah, other you. companies do, but it gives the context for my answer to the question, which is, and I'm so glad you asked, creating a virtual culture is so similar to creating an in-person culture. Some people get hung up with it. Well, how do I, how do I do that? Well, if you and I spent Rebecca, you know, a good portion of, of the week on zoom, in meetings and then with the rest of the team and we had our own inside jokes and we had our own laughter and we talked about our core values and we had our meeting rhythms we're going to have a pretty good company culture um so my first tip is anyone that you have that's virtual include them in everything possible which the only thing is an in-person event but even so sometimes you can have an owl sitting in the middle of the table and they can feel like they're part of it because everyone else can be in person. That's that's like a camera, right, with multiple angles. And, and they can feel a part of that. So they should be part of your retreats. They should be part of your meetings. Treat them like the company employee or team member that they are, not as a separate virtual part of your team. It's just so important that you develop, you know, the, the mindset. Um, a company recently was going to do a retreat that they're a big client of ours. And they were asking if they should include their virtual team, which is like 15 people, 15 full-time people. And I'm like, of course you should. Like, you, you should not let this opportunity go by. So they did. And they were so glad. The onshore team was glad because they got to know everybody better from the virtual team. And the virtual team got maybe more out of it than the other people. And so it's like, it's such a good opportunity to, to, continue to create that culture. So that's tip number one, I guess. I'm just really harping on that because I, I, want, I want people to get over that. Because that, that client had been a client for so long, I was shocked that they would even ask that question. I was kind of like, well, of course. Um, the other thing is have really good systems for feedback. Like we talked about earlier, have weekly report cards and have a, a meeting every week. You know, we call it a 90 minute meeting where you're checking in on results, you're checking in on progress, you're, you're giving everyone on the team an opportunity to, to present issues, to talk through and to discuss. So that's very important. One of the things that I'm probably most proud of, um, but I, I think everyone's most proud of the things they kind of come up with on their own, um, 
is the concept of office hours. So if you remember in school, your professor wouldn't like email you a hundred times coming up with different, like why well, can meet here and not here? You know, like, like they just open their office hours for two hours on a Thursday afternoon. And if you wanna go talk, you, you show up and you wait in line. Doing that virtually is really efficient. You open your Zoom meeting room, you have your assistants again, cause you're delegating, send out a message to the rest of the team saying, Rebecca's office hours are open, everybody. Same time every week. Sometimes you have to cancel, but most time you don't. And then people go on and Zoom and they're in the waiting room and you let them in one at a time. You can handle so many issues and talk to so many people in 60 minutes that would have taken you twice as long just to schedule all those meetings. So that's a, that's a really sort of big productivity and, and really a capacity tip that we're sharing with our clients that has been game changing for a lot of them. That so is a brilliant idea, Brett. Thank you for sharing that. I can see that that would work extremely well. Very effective. Thank yeah. you. Very, very, very effective. And not only that, but there's so many tangential benefits such as interruptions just prevent you from getting things done. Every Like your email beeps or your phone beeps so you get a Zoom request. You need to insulate yourself from all the distractions to get work done. And it's okay because instead of saying, oh my gosh, all this other stuff's piling up. I wonder if my team needs me. doesn't matter because at 11 a.m. when you have office hours, you're going to hear all of the things that your team needs you for. So it really has a double impact and it, it's amazing for productivity. Um, so, so, so that's it. I mean, I'm sure there's, we have checklists and downloads on our website and all the things you can do. But the big ones are treat your team like they're full-time, you know, like, like they are you know, build the culture around including your virtual team and, you know, meet with them every week, give feedback, and then have office hours where you're, you're open for communication. Even if you're so removed from your company, if you just did office hours once or twice per month, the benefits are astronomical. Well, we, we love to have these practical tips for listeners to go and implement, and those are very succinct very clear so thank you for sharing those brett absolutely as we come to wrap up the podcast is there anything that that i haven't asked you that i should have asked you that would reveal some fascinating insight about you your business your leadership style i look if i was in the audience and i didn't have anybody virtually my biggest question would be how do i how do i find someone Right. And like, what can they do? So let me answer this. Like what they can do is almost anything. Goodness gracious. Like other than bring you a cup of coffee, you could even program your coffee, the right coffee machine. So someone across the world could click a button and it would start brewing for you. So other than bring you a cup of coffee or go to lunch with you, you can have a virtual assistant do so many things to save your time. Um, Perry Marshall is a really phenomenal author and, and he talks about sort of growth and, 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 and time. His books are just so amazing. Um, he talks about every quarter or every six months going back to your list of things you're doing and delegating 75% of the things that have now found their way onto your list. Just continually as you grow, you'll take on new things and you need to keep delegating. But who do you delegate to, right? That's, you know, virtual assistants are so good at that. Um, Full-time virtual assistants. They just happen to live somewhere else. Like this whole thing was set up through my virtual assistants and maybe yours, I don't know, but I show up, I meet someone really great. 
I do the podcast and I'm, I'm, I'm moving on with my day. And it really, you know, it wasn't the time suck that you, you know, things usually happen. So the other question is, how do I find, oh, and, and by the way, virtual assistants, it's not just a, like a personal VA. No. They, they can do in my world, right? Legal secretary, billing clerk, HR person, receptionist, intake coordinator, um, you know, paralegal, think about all the traditional roles in your business that, that somebody can fill. And I bet you, again, 95% of those roles can be filled with somebody who doesn't need to be in your office. The other thing is, how do I find them? Um, several options. One, a company like us who, who finds what we, we claim is the top 1% of virtual assistants in the world. We will have 250,000 people apply to work with us this year in Latin America and South Africa because of the, the you know, reputation and, and, and recruiting sort of infrastructure that we've built. Um, that's always gonna be more expensive, of course, than if you the do-it-yourself model. The do-it-yourself model, as Tim Ferriss says, you're gonna have probably seven before you find a good one. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of time and hidden money involved there. It could take you a year and a half, but there are ways to do that yourself if, if you start, you know, just Googling and figuring out, you know, talking to people, how, how you can find somebody yourself. Um, but that that is an option we always tell people. Well, how can somebody get in touch with you, Brett, if they wanted to find out more? Yeah, um, getstaffedup.com. It's real simple. Most of our, our, our website is geared towards, you know, talk to us now, set up what we call a, a freedom call now or a decision-making call. Um, meet with our team. So getstaffedup.com and, and it'll lead you right to where you need to go. So as most of our audience are from the UK, that doesn't matter because you no, service companies clients. globally. Yeah. No, we have clients in the UK. We, lo we love you guys. Oh, we well, that's you. nice to know. <laughs> Very happy to work with you. Oh, Brett, it's been tremendous to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your experience of growing successful businesses and your culture and your values and how you see leadership. So much appreciated indeed. Rebecca, you asked really great pointed questions today and I'm, I'm very happy to have met you and been on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you very much indeed. All the best. Yep, take care. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rgen.co.uk rgen, website.